Good morning, folks. My name's Phil. I'm the new assistant pastor. And it's my privilege, I think, in a somewhat painful way, to speak to you about the book of Job this morning. And I want to begin with a question. If you think you love God, why do you love him? If you think you don't love God, why not? It can be so easy to love God for the gifts he gives. And it can be so easy to resent him for the gifts he withholds or the gifts he takes away. Perhaps you've really struggled with the loss of freedoms or the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one in the past six months. Perhaps you've really struggled with loneliness and distance from friends and the fellowship you used to enjoy at church in person. Personally, Megan and I have, have struggled with the loss of two babies in the last year, among other things. And it is so easy to resent God when he takes away the things we hold dear. So let me, let me ask you this question. In your heart of hearts, could you bring yourself to love God for who he is, regardless of what gifts he gives and takes away? That question, in a sense, is the question that underlies the book of Job. Will Job, and will we, by implication, love God for who he is, regardless of the gifts he gives and takes away? The book of Job is rich, it's profound, it's complex. It doesn't give us many answers to why we suffer. Rather, it, it, it's more there to teach us how to trust God in suffering, how to suffer well. And there are things about that I don't understand. And there are many questions that I'm sure you'll have that I, I just haven't got time to deal with in, in these sermons. And some I probably couldn't answer. All I want to do in these two sermons is to share those insights from the book of Job that have been most precious to me over the last year in the hope that our Heavenly Father will, will bless you by them as well. If, um, if there's anything I skip over in these two chapters, either this week or next week, that really troubles you, please don't feel afraid to get in touch with me by the, the church WhatsApp group if you're on that or to contact us through the church website on the contact page. And I would be genuinely happy to go for a coffee and to try and talk through those things, even if I don't have all of the answers. So that question again, will you love God for who he is, regardless of the gifts he gives and takes away? Now, Job had every reason to love God for his gifts. 
as we saw in chapter one in verses two and three, he was once the greatest man in the ancient Middle East. He was blessed with 10 children and with riches equivalent to a modern day billionaire like Bill Gates. As Satan observed in verse 10, it seemed like God had put a hedge around Job, like some kind of invisible force field to protect him from all harm. Everything Job did was blessed. So Job had every reason to love God for his gifts. Job also had every reason to fear God as the one who could take away those gifts. As Microsoft probably fears Apple as its biggest competitor, as the US often fears China, so Job could have feared God simply as a threat to his business interests. And yet, and yet, it seems that Job really did love God for God's own sake. Three times we are told in chapters one and two that Job is blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. These are the narrator's opening words in verse one, and God affirms them in verses eight and chapter two, verse three. We should be in no, no doubt. Here was a man whose life displayed love and fear for God in every way. That's not to say that Job was sinless. Later on in chapter 13, verse 26, and 14, verse 16, Job mentions his sin. He doesn't deny that there's sin there. But the thing about Job is there was no pretense about him. He didn't put on an outward display of righteousness while secretly hating God in his heart. Far from it. He had a tender conscience that genuinely repented of sin, loved righteousness, and wanted to please God. So much so that he even cared about his own children's sin, as we saw in verse 5, where he offered sacrifices after that. Job, it seems, did love God for his own sake. But at least one person had their doubts. In chapter 1, verse 9, and again from chapter 2, verse 4, Satan voices cynicism about Job. Satan means the adversary in Hebrew. And this adversary thinks that Job is only in it for the gifts, for the wealth, the family, and the health that God gave him. Remove all of those gifts, says Satan. And Job will curse you to your face. Satan neither loves God nor trusts him. All he wants in this universe is to get power and glory for himself. And he cannot bring himself to believe that Job is any different. Possibly the biggest shock of this book, and it's a shocking book, is that God agrees to test Satan's accusations twice 
and it's with unspeakably painful and heartbreaking consequences for Job. God must surely know Job's heart better than Job knows himself. He's God, right? <laughs> Does he really need to prove Job's love to himself at the cost of Job's children and his entire livelihood? Well, no, God doesn't need to, as if he was somehow uncertain about Job's true feelings. And nor is God made more glorious if Job passes the test. Creation is the theatre which displays God's glory, not a factory to produce it for him. Let me say that again. Creation is the theatre which displays God's glory. It's not a factory to produce glory for him. Father, Son and Holy Spirit fully display the awesome beauty of their one divine nature to each other. And they've done that, they are doing that eternally. There's nothing lacking in them. And there is nothing that could be more delightful. Creation may capture a pale reflection of that beauty, just as a sunset reflected on a lake may be beautiful, but it never captures all of the exquisite nuances of the sky above. Job does not add anything to God's glory if he passes the test. So why allow Job to suffer so painfully? Because God is too lovely and loves Job too much to let Satan's cynicism stand. Let me say that again. God is too lovely and loves his servant too much to let Satan's cynicism stand. Now bear with me here. I'm going to break that answer down into two sermons. <laughs> Um, both God's loveliness and his love for Job and for his servants more widely are too important to skate over. And I don't want to go over 25 minutes in this sermon. So for the rest of this sermon, I'm going to explore why God is too lovely in himself to let Satan's cynicism stand. Then next week, we're going to recap and then see why God loves his servants too much to let that cynicism stand. So what do I mean that God is too lovely? I mean this, it is not just Job's character that is at stake in Satan's wager. It is God's character even more than it is Job's. Job was the most God-fearing person of his time. If he did not love God for God's own sake, that could suggest that God is not worth loving for God's own sake. And that is certainly what Satan, the most self-obsessed of all creatures, thinks of God and what he wishes to prove to the world, that God is not lovely. 
But why is God too lovely to let Satan's cynicism go unchallenged? Firstly, because the entire point of God creating anything was to display his love futures. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit know that their shared divine nature is lovely. <laughs> they don't need creation to remind them of that. But they made us to see and to enjoy that loveliness in the most astoundingly unnecessary and generous act of love prior to Jesus's incarnation and crucifixion, not have to create anything. He does not have to give us anything. It is simply out of his generosity that he does so, so that we can enjoy him. So if there wasn't one person in creation who grasped God's loveliness, God might as well end it there and then. But more than that, God in his lovely perfection is the being most worthy of our love and our worship. He doesn't need our worship. I mean, how could our delight in him, small and uh, quickly changing as it is, how could that add anything to the delight of God the Father in God the Son? or God the Son and God the Spirit. God does not need our worship, but God does fully deserve our love and worship. And so it's, it's not him who is personally injured when he doesn't get our worship, but he is greatly wronged. He's wronged because it is profoundly unjust for a creature not to love their most lovely creator. It's a gross unfairness, a little like if a Nobel Peace Prize was awarded, posthumously I guess, to Adolf Hitler or to Osama bin Laden. So Satan's miserable, small-minded cynicism cannot be allowed to stand. It is not enough for God to know that Satan is wrong. The whole of creation needs to know that because that is what God made us to know and his loveliness deserves to be known. Just imagine with me for a moment how dreadful, how dark and depressing this world would be if God allowed Satan's accusations, his cynicism to stand. Imagine if God appeared only to be an insecure, cynical megalomaniac who desperately needs us to manufacture glory for him, buying our praise with stuff just to keep us under his thumb and massage his ego. How miserable would this world be if there really was nothing higher and more noble than brutish self-interest? If the best that we could hope for in life was to grab as much stuff as we could for ourselves before it was too late. In fact, 
How miserable is sent because that is the lie which Satan has deceived people with. How miserable is Yemen, for example, torn apart and languishing in crippling poverty because of the selfish ambitions of the power hungry and the profit hungry? God, as the God of all truth, who is goodness himself, is rightly determined to himself in the eyes of his creatures, even at the terrible cost of Job's devastating loss. He must, and it is worth it. You might think that it's, it's cheap and cruel to make poor, defenseless, innocent Job suffer so greatly just to prove a point on God's behalf. But God is not treating Job like a pawn in a game. He also longs to vindicate, he loves Job profoundly. And we're going to look more at that next week. But for now, consider this. God did not allow Job to suffer anything worse than he himself would suffer in the person of Jesus. Job's sufferings are only a foretaste of the sufferings that God the Son would willingly bear as he took on a human nature and humbled himself from the heights of glory in eternal God the Father and God the Spirit to the lowest depths of agony and shame and destitution upon this earth. Job was not suffering under God's wrath at sin, but Jesus was, bearing something more terrible on the cross than the sum total of every eternity in hell that every believer, including me, deserves. That is why Isaiah calls Jesus the man of sorrows. God does not inflict suffering on others without bearing far worse in his own human nature. And he vindicates his loveliness most clearly, not by Job's suffering, but by Jesus' suffering, showing himself to be the God who loves and forgives us at the greatest cost, not because he needs us, but because he is unimaginably generous and merciful and kind. God is too lovely to let Satan's cynicism stand. Now, these are hard truths and uncomfortable ones. I just want to draw out two things from them, which have been driven home to me over the last year. Firstly, God is worthy of love, our love, entirely for his own sake. So we need to ask, 
do I actually love God for his own sake? God may have blessed you richly with material possessions or a wonderful family or a career that you really enjoy. He may have blessed you with resilient mental health or physical prowess on the sports field or striking physical beauty. He may have blessed you with a long and comfortable and relatively untroubled life, at least this far. And all of these things are good, good gifts to praise him for. But they point to the goodness and the generosity of God's own character. Because he has given to them as free gifts, even though we came into this world naked and empty-handed like Job. But how often do you raise your eyes above the gifts to feast your eyes upon the giver, to delight in him? How often do you reflect on the loveliness of his character and praise him for that? This is the simple question I would love you to take away and ponder after this sermon. Do I love God for his own sake? It's actually really hard to tell that when we're not suffering and when God hasn't taken any gifts away. And in any case, the human heart is deceitful above us, as the prophet Jeremiah wrote. We, we, we could be partly deceiving ourselves if we do think we love God more than his gifts. So we need all the more to pray that our gracious God would open our eyes to see him more clearly, to see the beauty of his character more clearly, and to love him more than his gifts. Believers must pray for it because we follow a suffering saviour. We are not more worthy of a comfortable and trouble-free existence than Jesus was. Suffering will come if it hasn't already. And if we have an abundance of material riches, but an impoverished faith, we will find it really hard to trust God when suffering comes. But more than that, if we love God mostly for his gifts, we're missing out on the most exquisite beauty of all and the deepest joy which comes from knowing God's own loveliness. Pray that you would know that. The second and final application is this. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus and you are suffering, pray this. Pray that the stripping away of material blessings would allow you to see even more clearly the beauty and goodness of God in Christ. Pray that the stripping away of these blessings that you lose through your suffering would just enable you to see God's own character even more clearly. I say that because seven weeks ago, when Megan told me that she had miscarried and that we had lost another baby, 
it felt like a punch in the stomach. There have been early warning signs, but I've been quite optimistic. I'd hoped for the best. I thought it was probably just a false alarm. But those hopes came crashing down in a moment. I was, I was absolutely gutted. But on that Sunday morning when my, my grief was deepest, God gave me a profound sense that he is still good. It was as if my, my earthly hopes had been temporarily swept aside like some kind of sea mist in a wind. And for a moment, I could see with rare clarity just how good God is, that he gives me anything at all, that he bears with me in all of my sin, all of my ingratitude and stubbornness, and that he even gave his son for me. Though I would never have received his son if he had not opened my eyes to do so. In that moment, he enabled me to say with Job, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That moment was precious. And in a, a really strange way, part of me longs to get that clarity back, even though I would really rather not have that pain back. This is one of the graces that God gives us in suffering. As he takes away material blessings, he enables us to see all the more clearly that he is good in himself, quite apart from his gifts. If you are suffering, I would urge you to pray for that clarity. And then when he gives you that clarity, rejoice. Rejoice in this mini victory. This, this small reflection of Christ's glorious suffering and of Job's. Why? Because God's goodness is being vindicated in your life and Satan is being silenced yet again. Rejoice because it's, it's not only you who will see that. Your brothers and sisters in Christ who look on will be encouraged to persevere themselves as they see through you that God is worthy. And unbelievers around you will be challenged to question Satan's lie that God is not worthy of our love for his own sake. So, Christian, as you persevere through suffering, Pray for God to show you his loveliness and rejoice that Satan is being silenced by your perseverance. Let's just take a moment, collect our thoughts, maybe just a little bit, and then I'll lead us in a short prayer. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. And because of that, we pray, please would you help us to see more clearly your loveliness. Please, Father, make us so convinced of your loveliness that we would be able to say, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And beat down Satan under our feet as we do so, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.